Lord, I pray that in the words that I speak, Lord, that you through your Spirit would speak to each one of us, that you would unblock our ears, open up our eyes, free our minds, and speak to our hearts, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What, what, what's a Christian look like? You know, is it, is it something to do with the fruit of the Spirit? You know, love, joy, peace? Uh, or is it some characteristic? You know, is it, is it dressing a certain way? Is it, you know, you have to carry a big Bible? You know, what, what makes a Christian? Because there, there certainly there are people teaching about what a Christian should do. So, what, what does a Christian look like or what should a Christian do? And we're going to look at, at sort of at that later on this morning in this, this passage. It's a passage in Colossians. So Paul wrote this letter to the Colossian church. He was actually dealing with a heresy that was creeping into the church. Colossae was about 100 miles east of Ephesus in what's now modern-day Turkey. And the church was probably founded by Epaphras, who we hear about in, in the letter to the Ephesians, during Paul's three-year stay in Ephesus. And the church probably mainly consisted of Gentile believers, non-Jews. We're not specifically told what the heresy was, but it would seem to be an issue faced by other churches in the early days, where certain people were insisting that it's not enough, in a sense, to follow Christ, that you need to observe the Jewish rules about food, about the Sabbath, about festivals, and that's what would help you as a Christian earn your salvation. And also some Gentile members seem to be promoting, it's like almost like a form of mysticism that claimed that, yes, Jesus was the higher be uh, being, but he wasn't quite God. And Paul counters these false doctrines. You can sum it up by saying he points to Jesus. He underlines the supremacy of Christ. And this, this letter, to sum it up, it, it proclaims Jesus as Lord of all creation. Now, last week, James preached on a passage from the first chapter of the letter to Colossians about the su supremacy of Christ. And I, I, can I just say how much I appreciated what James said, and also to honor him for being willing to, to, to preach for us. Uh, he was very clear, and although I do at times give him abuse about stuff, uh, I do want to say I appreciate it. And also, not just James, but Jamesy and David and Jim. David, during his tribute to Dudley at the, the funeral on Thursday, mentioned how much Dudley valued Jim's clear uh, biblical teaching. And I suppose I want to honor all those James, Jamesy, David, and Jim about the fact that they do provide us with clear biblical teaching. So, James preached on the supremacy of Christ. And what Paul said about that speaks to us today as well. You see, there's still some who claim to be Christian, but don't seem to want to talk about Jesus as God, and to think of him as no more than just a great teacher. But there's no Christian faith without Jesus. It's actually because Jesus was divine that his death reconciles us to God. 
If he was anything less than God, it would be meaningless. He's the image of God. He's the source of all wisdom. He's the head of the church. He's the head of this church. So, as our Savior and Deliverer, He deserves our worship, our adoration, and our praise. There's a lot in this passage, so I'm only going to concentrate on on some of the points. But right at the start, Paul says about having received the word of truth, he encourages us as believers to continue in our walk with Jesus. He talks about being rooted in Christ and that our walk should be built up, established, and abounding. It's like continuous growth. Walk is often used to describe the Christian life. And if you're talking about walking, it implies action. It implies progress. You cannot walk and remain in the same place. So it's the same in the Christian life. We're either going forward or we're going, we're going backward. You can't stand still. And we only go forward if we focus on Jesus. Verse 8, it looks like Christians shouldn't study philosophy, which is a bit of a pity because I really like philosophy. But that's not what Paul means. You see, philosophy means the love of wisdom. It's not evil in itself, but becomes evil when we seek wisdom apart from the Lord Jesus. Proverbs 13, it actually says, wisdom was there at the foundation of the earth. So wisdom is not to be despised, but only when it's apart from Jesus. Paul's saying, don't be taken in by any philosophy that doesn't conform to a proper knowledge of Jesus, that would value human wisdom above God, which would worship the the creature, not the creator. So Paul's getting the Colossians to test all preaching and all teaching by whether or not it agrees to the doctrines of Christ. The the Anglican Church has, it's almost like three foundations. It talks about scripture, tradition, and reason. But they can't all be on the same level. It has to be scripture and then tradition and reason. Scripture, only scripture. Scripture has to be primary because otherwise you start to add bits on. You know, it's no longer about believing in Jesus, but, well, but it's about how we do things. So it's Jesus and things. But in verse 9, it says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus is God. Verse 6, it talks about Jesus is Lord which would contradict those in the the church of Colossae who were saying that that Jesus isn't God. And there are groups of people like the Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian Science, who don't believe Jesus is God. Lovely man, great being, great teacher, but not God. Unitarian Christians as well believe that Jesus was inspired by God, but he isn't God. And that's why we say together the statement of faith, of our belief, and we say it after the sermon. Each Sunday, we state the truth of God, one God 
in three persons. And you, there's a lot of talk today, that you, I mean, you, you hear it all the time, but probably particularly after the pandemic and the fact that we didn't meet in person. A lot of people say, you don't really need to go to church to be a Christian. You know, you can be a Christian on your own. You don't need to come. But there's something powerful in us meeting together to worship God, to sing our praise to Him, to pray, to hear His Word preached. We're also told in the Bible, don't give up meeting together. We're, we're saying things to God, and we're encouraging each other as we state what we believe. But not only that, we're stating it to the spiritual realm. There's something powerful in words. We're saying it to God, we're saying it to each other, we're encouraging each other, but we're also saying it to the powers and principalities. It's powerful. This is what we believe. We believe Jesus is the Son of God. And what seemed to be happening in Colossians is people were adding additional burdens. You know, I've heard it from people, and I'm sure there are people here today who are saying, you know, I don't believe I'm worthy enough to become a Christian. I'm not good enough. I've done bad things that are too bad to forgive. Maybe it's a sin that remains in the past, and you think it's, it's unforgivable. But Philip Yancey, a well-known Christian writer, said, there's nothing we can do to make God love us more, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. God's love and forgiveness is freely available to us through Jesus. It's simple. It's straightforward. At Dudley's funeral, the, the passage from John 14 was read out where Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And for those who would try to say, yeah, yeah, you believe in Jesus, but you also need to do these things, think of the passages like in Acts 16, where the, the, the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Romans 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It goes on to say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In these verses, it doesn't say, believe in the Lord Jesus and eat the right foods believe in the Lord Jesus and observe the festivals, believe in the Lord Jesus and be circumcised. You know, it's not about, say, wearing certain clothes to church. I know when I was growing up, you know, you, you had to be dressed up to go to church. The men all wore suits and ties. Women quite often wore hats. So how does Lorcan fit into that in his shorts? <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, it's believe in the Lord Jesus. It's not and wear a suit to church and carry a big Bible under your arm and do certain things in a certain way. That's not about our salvation. It's believe in the Lord Jesus. 
Verse 10 says you're complete in Christ. In Christ, we have put off the power of sin. We've received new life. We've been forgiven, full stop. There's nothing that we as Christians need to add to what we received from Jesus at the time of conversion. It is not the gospel and something. It's not Jesus and something. It's only Jesus. Therefore, let no one judge you for eating pork, for failing to observe religious festivals or holy days. Some false cults will insist on their members abstaining from meat. That's not about salvation. Many churches require abstinence from certain foods during Lent. It might be good to do, but it's not necessary for your salvation. Others, like the Mormons, would say that a person shouldn't drink tea or coffee. And actually, it's shouldn't drink hot drinks. But again, that is not necessary for our salvation. It is not the gospel, and we're not under such laws. And then Paul goes on to talk about those who delight in false humility. Quite often, people who don't maybe regard Jesus as the Son of God, they don't champion Jesus as, as being necessary for salvation. It's like there's a false humility about them. They're trying to appear hum humble. It's almost like they're, they're searching for some new spiritual experience, you know, by adding things in, by some sort of fasting or mysticism. And there are times that, that people talk about speaking in tongues, and it's almost like, you, you know, to be saved, you need to believe in Jesus, and you need to speak in tongues. That's not correct. That's not what salvation is about. So, they can be searching for some new spiritual experience or saying you need to do something extra for salvation. That's actually an inverted form of pride. They don't want to submit to God's plan of salvation as we see it in the Bible. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Full stop. It then goes on to talk about this strange thing about worship of angels. And it's not clear exactly what is meant, you know, as to whether they feel you have to approach God through angels, that you're worshiping in angels rather than God, or are you using angels as a sort of lucky charm, you know, that you're, you're calling your guardian angel to help you? But we need to remember, First Timothy, it says, there's one mediator, one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Because again, it, this, this thing about worship of, of angels, you know, are they doing it as like sort of a lucky charm to get what they want? And I know some people at times feel, you know, when you're praying, oh, you always have to say in Jesus' name because it's, it's almost like it's not a proper prayer unless you say that. That actually can be a, a wee bit of a, a form of superstition. We're commanded to pray in Jesus' name, but it's, 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 for a, a, it's not as some superstition. We're, we're in a sense saying we're laying down our personal desires and our own ways of getting things done because we're praying in the name of Jesus. We're praying with his authority, and we're asking God the Father to act on us on these prayers 
because we come to Him in the name of His Son, not because we use certain words. And then it talks about the false teachers going into great detail about what they've seen. It's like they claim to have joined the angelic worship of God. It's like they've been in the heavens and received divine wisdom. Effectively, they're saying they're spiritually superior to us because they've got visions and we, we didn't. They've got special revelation. But as we keep saying here, you need to test stuff against Scripture. It's important in a church to have good order and discernment. And again, that's why we can't, we can't be solitary Christians. We have to be part of a body. We meet together to worship, to pray, but also that the people who are leading will have discernment, that there'll be accountability, so that if somebody says something, there are others there to test it against Scripture so as we don't go off the rails. It's about iron sharpening iron, being on the right path. So it is important for us to meet. It's important for us to test things against Scripture. That if, you know, people can have words from the Lord, but they're, they're given in this church through whoever's leading, so as I can discern whether it is something that should be shared with the body. So don't allow somebody to come along and say, got a special revelation. I've got, I'm the only one's got it, and, and here's what it is. Test it against Scripture and be in a body where there's accountability. And then the last verse, it's almost like the most terrible criticism from, from Paul. He's saying, you people are using your own private spiritual experiences as the basis of your authority, and in doing that, you're actually rejecting Jesus as head of the church. What you're saying is, it is not Christ, but it's about me, which is the wrong way round. Our final song that we're going to be singing is actually one that Linda and I were at a wedding on Friday, and the song was actually sung at the wedding. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. And one of the verses says, to this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And that, that can sum up this sermon. Yet not I, but through Christ in me, and only Christ. Only Christ, not Christ and. So I'd like you to concentrate on the words of the last song. Use them as a prayer. Think about them during the week, that it's, it's only Jesus. What gift of grace is Jesus my
Jesus and receiving our salvation, that we would stay in that path and not allow others to add things to that message, to burden us down with additional regulations or beliefs, but that all of us would see it is only Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who still do not believe in Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would help them today to just you would reveal yourself to them to see that if they confess that Jesus is Lord, if they believe in Jesus, they will be saved and receive the free gift that you give. And for the rest of us, Lord, help us to encourage each other, to resist heresy and false teaching, and to concentrate on you, Jesus, our Lord, Jesus, the Son of God. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen.